Listeners, do you wish you had a better handle on your finances? Feel like it's time to invest, but you just don't know how? Well, it's not your fault. Most of us weren't taught how to manage our money growing up, but the team at Dow Jane's is out to change that. I recently did a podcast episode with co-founder Britt Baker all about money and what holds women back. If you want to learn more, go to DowJanes.com and click the link to watch their free class, Think Like an Investor. Your future self will thank you. That's DowJanes.com. Go check it out. Everything. It's our how we record our history. It's how we teach our children. It's how we share our celebrations. It's how we talk about spirituality. It's everything to us. And that has been lost in the translation of whiteness now, right? The white colonality reality I have now has stripped me of my nativeness. So during COVID, how do I, a person who's experimenting on the internet, reach out to my family, share my academic passion, because that's my view of the world. Welcome to the Empowered Spirituality Podcast. Join me, your host, Samantha Nagel, a certified integrative nutrition health coach, poet, witch, and work in progress for grounding meditations, inspiring interviews, and reflections about spirituality, holistic health, and the world around us. Join in every Thursday as we explore what empowered spirituality means to us in today's world. Welcome to the Empowered Spirituality Podcast. My name is Samantha Nagel. It's so nice to have you here with me today. I am so, so excited to bring you this episode. Um, it's with my friend, Dre Abeda. Um, we met on LinkedIn, kind of. Um, really what happened was my boyfriend follows them on LinkedIn somehow, or they're connected on LinkedIn, however that works. And he told me, I think this person would be a really great fit for your podcast. And I took a look at their LinkedIn and I was like, oh my gosh, yes. Um, And so Dre and I have been chatting back and forth since like September, maybe of 2021. Um, And we finally connected to do this interview and it's been so wonderful to know them. And um, this conversation was so amazing. I can't wait for you to hear about all the amazing stuff that Dre does. Um, Dre is just such an amazing person. Uh, And we're actually in the same place. I mean, not the same place. I'm in my house. (laughs) But we're both in New Mexico. And we're both in the same city, which is super, super cool. Um, And we work at the same place, kind of. We work for the same university. So it was really cool to connect with someone that's in my area as well and still have connected via the uh, internet, which is really interesting. Um, When I first started the podcast, I was, I did people that I knew in the area, and then I grew to maybe reaching out to others that I found on the internet, or I had been following their work or something. Uh, So it was really cool to to connect with someone in in my area. So in this episode, we talk about academia and advocacy for students in universities especially students in universities who have been harassed in some way or targeted in some way by professors or by the university itself. 
We also talk about critical race theory um, in general and also how that impacts spirituality, the decolonization of religion, um, the sacred properties of medical marijuana, but also like so, 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 so much more. Um, I'm gonna read Dre's bio to you, but I wanna let you know before you listen, um, just to give you a trigger warning for this um, or a content warning or content explanation. <laughs> um, so we talk about suicidal ideation. We talk about sexual violence and sexual harassment. Uh, we don't talk about it de in a detailed way, um, like nothing is explained or described, um, but it is brought up quite a bit. And it's brought up in the context of Dre's experience, a little bit of my experience, common experiences of others that they've worked with and in general, um, as well as their own suicidal ideation, suicidal thoughts, um, but nothing is explained graphically. Um, so I just want to give you that heads up that if that feels like an unsafe conversation to listen to, um, please respect that and um, please listen to your body and whatever feels good feels good. Um, if you decide to listen, that's wonderful. It's a great episode. Um, and also know that if it ever becomes too much, you can always pause. And I'm going to put um, a resource for the National Suicide Prevention Hotline in the chat below as well. Not in the chat. I'm used to doing Zoom um, in the show notes. Sorry about that. So I am with Dre Abeda. Dre, who is a coyote walking in this world and a real life Isleta Pueblo superhero is an indigenous, two-spirited, bisexual, multi-trauma survivor, PTSD diagnosed, medical marijuana researcher and advocate, and critical race theory, whiteness, and intersectional advocates and scholar. They're currently a ninth year doctoral candidate at the University of New Mexico in the Language, Literacy, and Socioeconomic Studies Department. Dre is also the leader of uh, 6K international students from around the world as the chair of the American Education Research Association, and the acronym for that is AERA, Graduate Student Council, in the president of the society Oh, the president, not in the president, <laughs> the president of the Society of Native American Graduates and Undergraduate Studies. Um, also the New Mexico Humanitarians, now NAS, graduate assistant and a critical autoethnographer, it's a hard word, and vlogger with over 2000 followers on seven social media platforms. And when I'm reading this bio, that, that number may have increased. Dre's history of professional experience includes over 15 years of community organizing, over six years of research experience on multiple teams. Some of those teams include YPAR, School to Prison Pipeline, Youth, Acti youth Activism, Ethnic Studies, Trauma Healing, three journal articles, a book chapter, 12 years teaching experience, four years in K through 12 and eight in higher education, five years of experience leading graduate student organizations, a total of 38 leadership institutional service roles and an additional 42 conference and or invited presentations. Ah, oh, so amazing. And by the way, I don't say this enough. If you want to watch our interview, 
the interviews typically don't include this little intro. Um, we just get right into the meaty part of the interview. Uh, it's on YouTube uh, and the channel is just Empowered Spirituality. And you can also find other guided meditations there as well as interview videos. So if you want to see what I look like, if you want to see what Dre looks like, <laughs> you can check that out. And also I, oh, you know what I just realized? I didn't pull a tarot card when I was with Dre for the interview. So I'm actually going to pull one right now uh, for the episode. Never too late. I'm going to pull one right now. So I'm pulling from the Good Tarot deck by Colette Baron-Reed. Um, and this card could be, could influence the way that you listen to this. Um, it could be just for myself. And it also could be for anyone listening at any time. I'm going to go ahead and pause this as a shuffle. I pulled the strength card. Oh my gosh. It's such a beautiful card. Um, what I was going to say is usually on the video, you can see me pulling the card and see what it looks like, but I will just describe it to you because you don't usually see this part. Um, there's some beautiful like apples up in the upper left-hand corner. Um, a beautiful woman with long hair who's petting a lion and the lion is roaring and it's the strength card number eight in the tarot. And uh, before I read the little thing in the guidebook, I think it's a perfect one for this conversation with Dre. Dre is so strong. And we also, one of the things we didn't get to discuss that I um, was thinking maybe we would was um, how to take care of yourself and how to stay strong when you are in the helping profession, in the helping world, um, when part of your purpose is to help others. How do you stay strong in yourself and how do you have self-care? Andre has, she's real. I know that they're really figuring that out uh, in our chats together. Um, Dre told me that that's something that they're working on as well. Um, so let me read to you endurance, strength. I can go the distance and know that everything occurs in divine appropriate timing. I have courage as I manifest miracles. When I allow spirit to work through me, I am strong enough to move mountains and overcome any obstacle inside or out. So beautiful. So beautiful. And I think it's interesting too that the card that comes right after that is the hermit card, which is kind of the resting timeout card. And the one before that is the victory card. Um, so I think that really relates to Dre, such a, such a champion, so much strength. Um, and also I hope it relates to me too. Um, I'm feeling a little overwhelmed in this season of my life. Uh, and also when this is coming out, it's like almost summertime and summertime is my least favorite. <laughs> so I know I need the strength then as well. So this will be kind of a good reminder for me when this comes out, <laughs> like a time capsule. Uh, and I hope it relates to you as well that everything does occur in divine timing. Uh, you have courage as you manifest miracles when you're in alignment with whatever you believe in spirit, your higher self, your true self, uh, you're strong enough to move mountains. So there's also a force of love supporting you, which I love. All right. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Dre and I hope you enjoyed the strength card. I know I really do. Hello, Dre Abeda. How are you today? I am doing well. I'm hanging out with you now, sis. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. 
Uh, I was just saying I'm a little nervous today, just like a little anxious, but so excited. We connected over LinkedIn, right? Like a, almost a year ago, and now we're finally connecting. So I'm so happy. I'm so excited to be here. And I, I look forward to this opportunity to share my work with the world, to get to know more about yourself. Um, and let's talk about our lives, spirituality, and how we can stay sane during COVID. Oh, yes, that's such an important topic. Yeah, I'm so excited. I would love to maybe start by you telling us all the amazing stuff that you're doing, because there's a lot, a lot of cool stuff. That sounds like my call to action. I am Dre Abeda, Kylie walking in this world, real life Isleta Pueblo superhero, proud two-spirit indigenous warrior, but I also have roots from Laguna, Acoma, and the Philippines. I am currently a ninth year doctoral candidate at the University of New Mexico, and I am the chair of the American Educational Research Association Graduate Student Council, the leader of the world's largest graduate student organization. I have been making a career advocating for graduate student rights, both for graduate and undergraduate students, as well as the president of the Society of Native American Graduates and Undergraduates at UNM. I am also a vlogger with 20,000 followers on seven social media platforms. I hope you'll all find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, um, Clubhouse. I think there's two more that I'm missing family. But oh, and also, um, and the reason I think we're here and what I have been really been trying to use as a superpower is spirituality. So I am also proud in an effort to decolonize family. I'm the former pastor of Coyote's Lodge, House of Spirituality, Critical Race Theory, and Medical Marijuana. Our services are on Thursdays, family, on Facebook Live, but I'm just your coyote and sibling now. So basically, family, I'm an activist, a researcher, a vlogger. Um, I take on institutions, and I also advocate one-on-one. -on -one. It's warrior advocacy, collectivist, indigenous style. So when I go to a university on behalf of a graduate student, the cases that I have covered so far have been everything from academic theft, um, kidnapping, sexual harassment and abuse, um, discrimination via race, as well as disability. So when we go to the institutions on a case-by-case -case basis, I use my skills, my advocacy, and the superpower of counter-storytelling um, to fight for rights. In a nutshell, family, I am here, sent by my ancestors to take over the world. I'll be president of the United States by the time I'm 64 or emperor of the, of the Americas, depending on our dystopian future. Oh, I love that. Wow, you're so incredible, so incredible. Um, I think what I would love to maybe start with is you said warrior advocacy. And I think you said that in relation to what you do for students. But I think that's really what you do overall is, is you're such an advocate and such a warrior. But I would love to know what that means to you. <laughs> um, so I have my own original critical race theory, walking as coyote. And the very first tenet is that during times of need, Ordinary people have to step up and become extraordinary. So I am a survivor of trauma three times over in my life. Rape and molestation, this is our trigger warning family, my apologies. I'm learning, right, as a public figure and a vlogger to uh, warn my audiences when I'm covering um, sensitive topics can be, that can be potentially triggering for them. Um, so trigger warning family. Um, I am a survivor of rape and molestation as a direct ramification of Indian boarding schools. Every single woman in my family has been marked by violence. In addition, in 2008, I was arrested by a sheriff for asking for his name and badge number during a racialized traffic stop. I lost nine months of my life 
my ability to teach, and I got upgraded from anxiety and depression to PTSD. In addition, in 2018, I am a survivor of a white male academic predator who collected women and created a cult-like environment to sleep with them. It took me uh, a suicide scare family. I was literally suicidal because I wondered about my place in the world. So when I took on the university, um, it became an act of warrior action. I became a warrior. I had to become a warrior to take on an institution that is there to dehumanize us. Unfortunately, in academia, when I share my story and I talk to audiences, more people share their pain and their suffering and their examples. And institutions are designed to protect their own. So when we as students report rape or academic theft, they ask us as if we're lawyers to bring our own witnesses. I complained against a black um, professor who stole academic work from their students. And they told this person who is a, a marginalized person to go find other marginalized people to tell on the professor and we'll believe you then. Go, I'll go out and, and, and find more witnesses and then we'll believe that professors stole your work. But really in reality, we are the vulnerable populations. When students report the harm that is happening to us, we're putting our own lives on the line. We're putting our, our, our academic careers on the line. We're putting the risk of losing funding, the risk of losing support, the risk of graduating on the line when we speak out about the abuse. So when I talk about warrior activism, what I have to do with my clients is I prep them and it's not a humanizing process, it's violent. And I literally have to sit down with them and say, when we go to the next step, because we have to go through the entire process, which is reporting it, going to all the deans, going to the Office of Equal Opportunity, we literally sit down and we write a statement. I have an interview with them one-on-one -on -one, and we go through the entire incident and I'm taking notes and we're recording the whole thing. I send them the recordings, they do a narrative. They listen to their own thing because it's traumatizing. It's re-triggered for both of us. I'm having panic attacks afterwards because the violence rubs off on you when you're hearing what's happening to these students because they're told to go to school, to get an education and to be a good citizen and everything will be fine. But then they find out that these people who have power abuse them, steal their work or use them for um, paper mills um, it's a, tra a traumatizing experience for them. And so we're literally preparing for a court case. One of my current cases is currently um, in negotiations with the legal right now. And so after we have interviewed, after they've done their narrative, then we meet again and we start with the statements and we start the dean meetings with their department chairs and the people who are involved and the professors. And then we go to the Office of Equal Opportunity. Then we have to gather evidence. So someone has abused you, someone has stolen your work. Now you have to go through all of your emails, anything that you might have that proves your case and again, collect it. So we collect that and we catalog that. Then we prep for the interviews. So going in front of a Dean and telling them this horrible thing happened to you is difficult and they will protect their own. So they'll ask you, You've been kidnapped. You've been sexually assaulted. Why did you stay? Why did you stay in that advisee group for so long? Why would you stay with your abuser? Not understanding that that's part of the cycles of abuse. When you're caught in that position, you can't get out. And they ask us to defend ourselves. And when we're hurt and we cry out and say, that happened to me, 
It literally is us against a billion dollar institution preparing for a case. So unfortunately, it is dehumanizing to both of us. It is violent to everyone involved, but it's something that has to be done. And the ones who make it are warriors. They have warrior hearts. And it is, it is dehumanizing, right? You're the victim and someone is telling you in a position of power from a university, it's your fault. You should have seen that this was happening to you. Or they use the bias of graduate students. You're a grown ass adult. How could you let this happen to you? How could you let that person abuse you? How could you let them steal your work? Or unfortunately, they use the bureaucracy against us. In my disability cases, they'll say no violation because the professor is no longer there. We no longer have to deal with this. It's not a human rights abuse. It's not a violation of our, of our, our personhood, but rather it's a technical bureaucracy and we can't do anything about it. And we can't fix the problem because the problem evidently is gone. And that's what's wrong with institutions like higher education because the bad apples, as we say, continue to just go to different institutions. So when you look at track records, University of New Mexico has a problem with rape and sexual harassment. We were investigated by the DOJ and the agreement was a whopping online training. We still have that problem. It's not gone away. And the university is not paying attention to it because COVID has made everything on fire. And so now we're literally mitigating what crisis we're trying to pay attention to, especially now with the graduate students at UNM. At the beginning of COVID, I was helping them with graduate student union organizing. Unfortunately, that was only a few months because I have other government positions that I hold um, in other organizations, but they have been fighting tooth and nail with the university who's thrown lawyers and millions of dollars at us and also has halted the faculty and staff union um, negotiations by using the legal team. So before the graduate students were trying to unionize, the faculty and staff were, and that efforts have been put on hold completely. But graduate students were desperate, were fighting for our lives, we're literally in battle mode. Um, and those efforts have been successful. We just had um, a success right now with bargaining agreements. They're going back to the table. Oh. So yes. <laughs> That's a warrior life. <laughs> wow. So powerful. And I didn't plan on sharing this, but I had an experience when I was an undergrad and then working in part of the university. I still do, but in a different part. And there was a professor there and he was so predatory and the whole department knew about it. And when I put in my um, two weeks, I decided to like sit down with the department chair and, and talk about like, why the hell is this person still here? And he even said, yeah, we know, but we can't do anything about it because of all the technical stuff. And it's so disheartening to know that these people exist and that people know about them, that people don't like them and that they're still allowed to act this way in a place that's supposed to be safe. And even though that's disheartening, it's, I don't know if heartening is a word, but <laughs> it's it's hopeful to know that there are people like you who are giving voices to all these people who really, really need it. And I just don't think I can thank you enough on behalf of everyone that you've helped. I appreciate the support and love, sis. But it's also paying it forward. Like that's my whole philosophy. It takes millions of dollars to create one Drea Beta. 
Like I go back to my ancestors, my great great grandfather Pablo Beta. He literally walked with presidents. He kidnapped uh, Roosevelt and literally got our land back. There was 22,000 acres that we had to renegotiate. Um, and during the Civil War, they lent the government $18,200 during the Civil War. So I come from a long line of politicians and warriors, but to get one person who's Ivy League educated, who has a master's degree, who has PhD, PhD coursework, who's a second generation college graduate, that's the thing for communities of color, a second generation graduate is, it's a different access to life. Like I cannot articulate that enough. When I talk about my positionality in class, I, I used to, when I was, before I came out as two-spirited and I only had my female self, I would call myself a princess. I would talk about royalty because of the access to resources I had due to my upbringing. Both of my parents, um, I have two moms. <laughs> so my mama tiger um, had me, um, they married young and I, they got divorced when I was a small child. And so I got, I went back and forth between um, a single parent household and her sister, who's my mama, my mama bear and her husband. Um, and and I, I faced abuse in that household. I had class privilege, but I was sexually abused in that household. Um, and so I had pockets of safety um, monetarily, but abusive environments, other places. So how do we um, how do we take like that history, right? And take that environment, but then share it and create something new. Because in my research, what really, I guess was transformative for me was taking my own experience with abuse understanding my parents and how we interacted with each other emotionally behaviorally spiritually um because we had been victims of colonization like boarding schools my grandmother doubled down on whiteness because she saw it as safety from the abuse of her households it was sexual abuse verbal abuse um and she was literally going to be sold off to marriage that was my grandma's generation she was born in 1924 and then my next generation uh, my mom not understanding what sex is literally i was i was a miracle my whole family loved me um but understanding like how do we how do relationships work right how how did i as a grown person have to redefine how to communicate with my partner because i had grown up in a verbally abusive household so my grandparents and other people would yell right and so they would fight a lot so if you're with a partner and you fight with them and they come back with you, they really love you because that's what you saw as your kid. So I ended up being a 20 year old fighting with my uh, my boyfriend at the time, my now partner and husband of, oh my gosh, this year will be 17 years, um, but we've been together for 21. Uh, we'd fight and I would repeat the same bad behaviors. And it took me until like 30, right? And a lot of lifetime experience and us being together for almost a decade to really emotionally, you know, heal and and find out how we wanted to redefine that and redefine our relations with our parents. Like I talked to my parents about the abuse and I didn't understand that as a child, I blocked it out and did not realize I was sexually abused until I was an adult. And I would go to doctor's appointments and I went to all of this therapy because I would have anxiety and PTSD or depression. Um, and then I got diagnosed and the memories came back. And then I remembered, and I remember crying to my husband as we're driving down towards the mall and I'm bawling and I'm just like, 
I was abused. Like it clicked and then it changes, it changes, it changes everything because you realize I'm not fucked up. <laughs> they did this to me. <laughs> I have anxiety. I have PTSD. I have all these <laughs> different ways that I walk in the world, but that happened for a reason. And I guess what I've been doing with my life is understanding why. When you're a small child, you're told the world is good, overly good, and you just have to be good too. But so much bad happened to me. I had to figure out why. I had to find out why horrible things happen to all of my loved ones around the world. I had to explain it. And I had to do the research. And in doing the research, in, and I started cutting my teeth, as they say, in um, youth advocacy, YPAR. My academic dad, Steve Desai, um, he's a professor at the University of New Mexico. Excuse me. He is a associate professor at the University of Mexico in the College of Education. Um, but he was doing a youth group called Loud, Leaders Organizing to United Criminalize. And I was a GA. And I also, family, just so you know, this coyote was a size 16 in the fifth grade. <laughs> so when I got to high school, I was at 18, 20, 22. When I got to college, I was 220 pounds. Um, and I, I ballooned to 290 pounds about um, 10 years ago. So five years ago, when I was literally dying because I had kidney damage and it was my eyes that went first. So I was losing eyesight because I had all these blood vessels that were hemorrhaging in my eyeballs. Mm -hmm. um, and I had to, I had to change. <laughs> so I had gastric bypass. So I spent that time focusing on my body and focusing on my mind and I'm doing all the work, right? I'm a PhD student. And then that's when I found that predator, right? Who is like, uh, oh, you're charismatic. You can bring me victims. He would uh, use my parties to, to find victims. And he would verbally abuse his students. He would text me and other students and use us against each other um, and, and threaten to leave you somewhere and cancel things on you. So it was definitely an abusive relationship. So I'm in academia trying to figure out the world. <laughs> like, isn't this gonna help me? Isn't getting a PhD gonna solve my problems? Isn't that gonna bring equity to all of the experiences and sense to what I've been experiencing my whole life? And then I have this horrible experience with my professor. And I want to kill myself. Like, I literally want to kill myself because I took it personally. I took every single victim that he had, his, his evil, I took on myself because I was the one that connected them. I beat myself up for years. Now it's been about four years now. But I beat myself up for years for what monsters do. So then I'm an academic that hates academia, who's fighting a giant institution that only protects itself and never protects students. So then what do you do, family? What do you do when you're hit down, right? And I've already been beaten down multiple times in my life at this point. And I'm 290 pounds and almost dying. But at that stage, when I find out that he's finally a monster, because I do my research, I go check out all of his past circles. 
and found out that it's a pattern of behavior. And we're like the third or fourth cult for the last 20 years or whatever. And I go find the witnesses and I go talk, I do my research. And then I use student organizing. So the other thing is I've had 42 ridiculous, no, 38 leadership positions in the last six years and 42 conference presentations. So I'm bringing in money to the College of Ed, like $78,000 because I can fill out paperwork and I'm hosting all these events and I'm feeding all these people. So it gave me a powerful platform to share my story. So there are three deans there and I'm saying this fucker is abusing students and they can't shut me up. They can't, they literally, I mean, I don't say fucker, but they can't silence me because I'm doing the groundwork of community building, because I'm running all these organizations, because I'm bringing conferences. I was the co-host um, of the on-ground conference or the, what they call it, co-chair of the national and local planning committee for the critical race studies and education annual association. We hosted in 2018. So that was $25,000 to bring to UNM. So the more money I represented to UNM, the less they could literally silence me. So I'm just saying family, Warrior advocacy is also about becoming that person who stands in the in stands firm. Like people stand behind me. I go to the meetings and go yell at the deans and the people who are abusing them or not giving them their scholarships or withholding their money, whatever. Because yeah, I'm a scary motherfucker. And I had to also come to terms and be okay with that because to be warriors is a different calling. You have to be okay with the violence. I talk about leaving the battlefield covered in blood and I don't have physical weapons, but their words, their ideology. And I, I debate and I talk and I use examples and I use my life stories. And that's been incredibly powerful objective, which is why I'm a critical race scholar, because that's our gig using our own, our own lived experiences, our own voices, our own counter stories is really how we make change. It validates us, it, it rehumanizes us, it allows us to critically reflect and allows us to grow. Sorry, I got off tangent. <laughs> Gotta bring this coyote back in. <laughs> no, Dre, you didn't. Well, maybe you went on a tangent, but it was a perfect one. And thank you so much for sharing your vulnerability and your experiences with us. And also, not just with us, but with all the people that you share with, because our stories really do make such an impact not just in when we're talking to people who make decisions like beans or whoever that is, but also as people who have been through what you've been through. And I know that hearing that can sometimes maybe be like trigger warning worthy, but more than that, it, it helps us feel deeply seen and deeply heard. And so I really appreciate that you're doing that work of not only making change, but allowing people to feel deeply seen and deeply heard. Thank you. This episode is sponsored by Dr. Marie Tuin of Love Insight. Dr. Marie wants you to design the relationship life that you desire. As your mindful dating and relationship coach, Marie will guide you to align your thoughts and actions with your heart's unique truth. She'll invite you to cultivate intentionality and authentic self-expression around your values, your self-image and self-worth, your boundaries and desires, and the way that you communicate with others, both online and in real life. 
You'll leave no stone unturned and remove any blocks that stand in the way of feeling completely aligned with your love path. Marie believes in the beauty of diversity in love and works with people of all backgrounds, ages, sexual orientations, and relationship styles. Please reach out to Dr. Marie and schedule a free 30-minute exploratory session at www.loveinsight-dating.com. The link is also in the show notes. Love is always in sight with Love Insight. Um, I would love to talk about the church that you said that you're a former pastor at. Um, And so I I noticed you said former and I noticed, um, I know I have it written down what the church's name is, but it has a lot of different things, medical marijuana, critical race, race theory, and there's a couple others. So can you maybe talk a little bit about that and maybe about why those things go together, how they do? Absolutely. Oh, thank you, sis. (laughs) This is the best question. Oh, it's all good. (laughs) My allergies, family. Oh my gosh. All right. So basically I'm on a mission for my ancestors. And, and I say that because every time I get knocked down, help comes, money comes, um, support comes. Right. And so when COVID hit, I was finishing coming off of all that trauma with that bullshit professor. I was gonna get my life together. I was gonna write my damn proposal. I was gonna finally graduate because I'm in ninth year. Um, and COVID hit and yeah, it was devastating. Mm-hmm. Um, most people keep track of 10, 15 people. I probably keep track of upwards to 100. And I mean, I regularly interact with them. Um, My global family, I send $250 every month to Indonesia. I send about $100 to Madagascar. And then I support my nieces and nephews here at the University of New Mexico. So all in all, it's about $1,000 out of my pocket every month for my global family. Um, I tutor my brother who is in Iran um during covid so he could pass his ielts exam and immigrate unfortunately the united states does not have diplomatic relations um and so even something as simple as us interacting publicly on social media is not allowed because um it's a risk to him politically and i mean he could be taken away and so i have family who literally um when you visit my podcast, my sis, who's the Regis Manana, who is the former minister of education from Madagascar during COVID, um, the death there um, and the disparity of life chances there are very, um, very different from us in the United States. And then you add on Indian country. Um, one of my siblings lost 13 relatives in Oklahoma. Um, one of my other siblings has lost oh I I'm a person who you'll talk to when you have a loss so I've been fielding about three or four deaths every month for the last two years and that's a lot 
and I'm an empathetic person and it hurts when I can't do anything to help and I'm a doer. I'll tear down that fucking university. And so what can you do when you're stuck in your home and it's a pandemic and you have the internet and you have a lot of people who need faith. They need something to believe in. And my gammy said to raise a church. She said that the white people and the colonized people will know what that means. She said, you're a leader. And in order to take care of all of your people, you can't just feed their minds. You can't just feed their soul. I'm sorry, you can't just feed their bodies. But you also had to feed their souls. So at this time, I had been a vlogger since April. And I, my theory is my body and spirit. And spirit got added around that time. So I had been doing all these exercise videos, yoga and, and uh, cardio and lifting weights. And I do my critical race videos, but I hadn't yet felt right with my, my own spiritual self. And I, I still struggle now to have church service because I feel like I have to be in, in a good space. How can I support my spiritual family, my global family, if this coyote isn't right? So, when Gammy says something, I listen to her. <laughs> so I, I figured out how do you do a church? Um, and so I got uh, certified online, right? To the legal part, right? Because one, I have no training in divinity. And I think that's kind of bullshit. Because first of all, Coyote's Lodge, Coyote, I'm Coyote. So in indigenous culture, coyotes are tricksters. Um, they're not good. They're not. They're not good. They cause chaos. They, they're, they're cheap. They steal stuff. They're greedy. Um, and that was me. I was that coyote. I was a foolish, foolish coyote. And the thing that I love about coyote though, is there's also grandfather coyote. And so you learn and you create. So yes, coyotes bring chaos, but they also bring change and they can create and they can learn and they can be wise. So I myself am real coyote in this world. Like I am a zealot. I am a true believer. I am on a mission and I accomplish those things because I am backed by my family, my ancestors. So the church that I raised, Coyote's Lodge, my partner's Blackfeet, and lodges are the community spaces. So I wanted a community space for Coyote's family. We are the house of spirituality because we work on our faith, we work on our spiritual selves. We are the church of critical race theory because of course this Coyote, not only is it my foundational ideological basically my bones like that's my blood and bones when you're an academic what's your theory great grace whiteness intersectionality it's what i eat i drink i blood i like i research it all and that's how i see the world a critical race theorist values communities of color values counter stories values and understands colonization and that our stories um are our 
everything. It's our how we record our history. It's how we teach our children. It's how we share our celebrations. It's how we talk about spirituality. It's everything to us. And that has been lost in the translation of whiteness now, right? The white colonality reality I have now has stripped me of my nativeness. So during COVID, how do I, a person who's experimenting on the internet, reach out to my family, share my academic passion, because that's my view of the world. And then I'm a medical marijuana advocate. So I've been using medical marijuana since college. So 1999, <laughs> which is a really long time. But I told everyone, like, I, I can't lie. I'm brutally honest. It's my one thing. Everyone knows my red flaming hair. I'm coming. I'm trouble. And I'm brutally honest. And I'll, I'll tell you the truth. Like, I am literally, I'm not afraid of anyone. I'll go up to the president of the United States. I don't care. President Stokes of the University has my email. I regularly, unfortunately, <laughs> send threatening emails to various presidents of foundations because of my AER work. Like, I don't, I don't see authority because you aren't any better than me. I am a leader of people who are relying on me to make sure you do your change. So when I'm telling people as a grad student that I use medical marijuana, everyone's like, no, you're going to kill yourself. You're going to academically shoot yourself in the foot. Like stay in the closet is what they told me for years. And I can't do that. Like literally I can't, I can't. So I, our church talks about medical marijuana i have a ceremonial opening smoke so the way our services are structured are we have opening prayer indigenous land acknowledgement a ceremonial smoke and a first reading and a second reading with a discussion of a topic i'm changing the format so in the effort to decolonize i'm trying to become more of an informal relationship and take it from so i i copied a church basically is what happened right I'm like, Gammy, what the hell? You want me to do a church? Okay, I'll do a church. So churches do these things, I'll do these things. And I use my ideology to try to inform that. And so medical marijuana to me is healing. It is um, medicine. <laughs> so I'm medicated 100% of, of all day, every day. As soon as I wake up, I take about um, 40 to 50 milligrams and I take them every two hours throughout the day and then I smoke as well. So for me, I wanted to be a public figure who is a professional person who uses a former drug, right? I was talking about deconstructing the war on drugs um, to, to, to put a new, to rebrand it, I guess. <laughs> We're in a capitalist society, right? But to prove to other people that it's a healing source and reconnect that to indigenous ways. Like we come from the earth, our, our ways of healing and knowing um, are deeply tied to that, but we forget. I forget who I am sometimes and that's when my anxiety and my PTSD gets me and I'm stuck in my room for three days and having panic attacks. And then Gammy comes out and reminds me who I am. So I wanted to try to do that with the church, create spaces that were indigenous based, that were open to everyone, that were an online community of love, but that we, we reflect in our own readings. So now, about a month ago, the problem was because it was so colonized, I was triggering myself to do church. You can't, you can't have a church if you hate doing church. <laughs> yeah. So I literally struggled with that up until December and it's the holidays. And I'm like, oh shit, it's Christmas. I have to do service because it's Christmas. And then I was like, what the hell? Why, why do I have to do a service? I'm not even a Christian church. We are an indigenous critical race church. Why do I have to use a Christian thing? Because that's again, 
colonization, right? And I always tell my people, all religion is created by man. All of it is written and edited. And I use all these examples. And I also critique Mormonism. I got beef with Mormonism, y'all. You stole my land. The whole idea of Mormonism is that North America is your Israel. That's bullshit. It's Native American land. So we got a whole modern religion that literally was invented in what, 18 something. We literally have the historical record. That guy, Joseph Smith, was being chased across the United States because he was a wanted criminal. And whiteness allowed, right? And a whole bunch of women as chattel. So I'm just saying, family, when you look at the history of how religion is created, it's empire building, it is materialism, it is controlling of gender and resources. So I'm asking everyone in the world to start challenging their own views on spirituality. Why believe something that is harmful? During Christmas, I had a nice little debate with one of my family members. He was like, well, I critique the Catholic church. And I'm like, great, but that doesn't do anything. Who are you telling your neighbors and cat? That's not gonna change the church. Now leaving the church, demanding that they change, holding them responsible, suing them and bringing down the institution, that's gonna create change. Not continuing to conform to whoever colonized you. And as indigenous people, literally at Maito Pueblos, what religion you are depends on what white people decided they wanted to come convert you. And I'll be damned if I'm gonna let my people just stay with spirituality because they were conquered at a certain time by certain people. Just saying, just saying. <laughs> so when we pray in Coyote's Lodge, after December, when I had my little uh, mini uh, revelation, right? I have to decolonize, I hate my church. So how do I make my church something I love? Um, it's a conversation now. I sit here. Before I sat in front of the fireplace, and I'd be lecturing. And now I just chill here with them, like I'm with you. And I smoke. Um, we had our very first decolonization service and I talked about what is spirituality. Like who gives it to you? Because it's, it's not a magic gift, right? So many people are like, it's a magic thing. I'm just gonna pray to this God and this magic things will happen. Yeah. That's not what spirituality is. Like we work towards spirituality. It's, it's a process, it's ideal. You have to think about it. You have to critique it. I was debating with the Catholic how important, how, how based in spirituality could their faith really be when they are counting how many freaking masses they went to to see if they get credit because after a certain hour, well, this mask really counts for this day, but we have to go these four days. And I'm like, seriously, how is that one of the basis for your religion? Do we really think there's a God up there who's counting how many church services you went to? I'm just saying we have a capitalist and dehumanizing way of commodifying our religion as if it's going to solve our problems with a magic wand, like so many prayers, so many masses adds up to this without actually thinking about what spirituality is. So when I pray, I'm literally like, hey, Gabby, <laughs> Gabby, it's your favorite coyote. <laughs> And I tell her about my day and I ask. So our daily prayers have a certain targeted thing. Like today was blessings for our pets. Um, love for my family is one that I usually like to do. Um, stress, right? Relaxation, stress. Um, celebrating resiliency, right? So when we pray in our church, we're talking about our lives and what we need then, right? Not this, I'm gonna bank all these hours so I get to go to heaven, but how, 
how do I, I feed my soul right now? What do I need right now? Right now, Gammy, I need my pet to be okay. <laughs> I need to go get my cat out of jail. I need to make sure you're okay. And you know what? Some of my family around the world connects at that moment because hell yeah, their pet means something to them. So why can't we as a human people redefine spirituality in a way that humanizes us, that feeds us, that creates community, and that's accessible to everyone? I don't need a fucking degree to be able to shepherd my people. I can do that perfectly fine just being human with them. You're amazing. Thank you so much. Um, I love everything you said. I'm not going to try and comment on what exactly I loved. <laughs> I would just be regurgitating everything you said. Thank you so much for this work that you're doing. And I want to chat longer, but I'm getting to the point where I'm going to have to hop off soon. Um, but before I ask you to tell us where we can find all the videos that you put in the world and, and how we can work with you, um, can you give our audience or our listeners something to do this week or a resource to check out like a book or a meditation or a video? Absolutely. Well, family, this is your coyote, Drea Beta, real life, a subtle public superhero. And I am here with your weekly challenge. I got two things for you, family. Number one, I want you to do a self check. And I don't care if you have no time. I don't care if you have grades. I don't care if you have bills. I don't care if you have 10 screaming kids out there. I want you to take five minutes, lock yourself in the bathroom and do a self check. And if you got some more privilege, I need you to take some step back and do some self care. Because I'll be honest, family, it is COVID. This is your daily reminder that if everything is not okay with you, it is not you. It is COVID, it is capitalism, it is racism, it is white supremacy. It is a bunch of things. So family, your first homework, check in with yourself and do some self-love. Number two, I am an activist, I'm a warrior, I'm a scholar, I'm an advocate, and I'm a real life superhero. And I need you. I am, this is my call to battle family. I'm asking you to find one aspect of your life to create some sort of change. There has got to be something that you can do. Is it in your role as a parent? Is it a role in your community? Maybe it's something at work. I want you to think about a social injustice that is in your own life that you can actually address. Because together, family, there isn't anything that we can't accomplish. Thank you. Uh, and before you tell us where we can find you, is there anything else that you wanted to touch on that we didn't get to today? I just wanted to say thank you so much, sis, for having the space. I look forward to catching up on the rest of your podcast on Spotify. Um, and, and just thank you so much. I look forward to learning more about um, how my global family, my siblings around the world, engage in, in self-care and, and nourishing their spiritual selves. So thank you. Thank you, Dre. It's such a blessing that I met you. And so awesome. None of my guests are from where I am. Only one of them has been, I think. <laughs> So I love oh, really? connecting with, yeah, yeah, literally my neighbor. Well, not literally, but almost literally my neighbor in the same state. Thank you so much. And where can we, where can we find you and all that fun stuff? Oh, yes. Thank you so much, um, dear family. This coyote is changing the world. Like I said, I got big plans to be POTUS. So come join my family. Um, there's two agencies I'm currently working with. I am raising the Abeta Consulting Group which is academics, activists, artists from around the world. We're, our website is abetaconsulting.com. And currently, thanks to my amazing sis, Valentina, 
the Abeta Share Community Foundation is going to be raising our nonprofit this summer family. So please, please, if you'd like to volunteer for any of those amazing opportunities, um, we also have our podcast every other week on Thursday. Follow this coyote at at Dre, D-R-E, Abeta, A-B-E-I-T-A. And I am on seven social media platforms, family. I just hit 20,800 and or 20,088 followers on Monday. It was a wonderful Valentine's present. I am on Facebook, <laughs> LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, and Clubhouse family. Um, but if you want to get me on the daily, like the live stream, that's going to be on Facebook. <laughs> And oh, sorry, one last plug. Don't forget our church services family every other week on Thursdays on Facebook Live. But we do have our daily prayer every weekday um, at uh, every weekday, as well as this coyote is trying to make sure that we keep our bodies safe as well. So join me at 730 a.m. Um, mountain time for yoga with Dre with Adrian. <laughs> We had uh, chair yoga for elders Monday, Wednesday, Friday and beginner yoga on Tuesdays and Thursdays. <laughs> Thank you so much. Oh, oh my God, sorry, one more thing. I'm sorry, family. I'm the chair of the American Educational Research Association Graduate Student Council. Our amazing conference is going to be in April the 21st to the 26th. Please visit our website, aera.net. I would love for you to come and support this coyote as I lead the graduate students. It's our first in-person conference as COVID family, and I'm excited. Thank you so much, Dre. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Empowered Spirituality Podcast. If you liked this episode, it would mean the world to me and my guest if you would rate and review this podcast. Um, you can do that on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Spotify actually just created a new option to rate your favorite podcasts. Um, so that would be a wonderful way to help the show grow and also just to show me some support and love. Or maybe you'd like to send this episode to someone you think would benefit from it. Um, if you'd like to tag me or my guests on social media or comment on this episode post, you can find me on Instagram at empowered.spirituality. And on that Instagram uh, account, I also share things related to holistic health, uh, menstrual cycle awareness, uh, movement, um, and all kinds of things. So I would love for you to give me a follow over there. And lastly, I am taking clients for one-on-one -on -one session work. I offer three and six months programs with the option to keep going. Um, in these one-on-one -on -one coaching containers, we really get to do a deep dive of spirituality, if that's something that interests you, or if not, we don't touch it. Um, movement, food, your menstrual cycle, if you have one. And we also really do a deep dive into our intuition uh, and our authenticity. And we also look at things like how much we're consuming alcohol and substances. And we use a really intuitive, flexible framework for approaching these things that we're really taught are strict uh, in our culture. So I'd love to see you over there. My website is empoweredspirituality.online and you can book a free consultation call. But until next time, I hope you enjoyed this episode and I'll see you next Thursday.